0: Welcome to the Counselors of Real Estate Top 10 and 20 podcast series. In these 20 minutes episodes, we'll discuss one of the prevailing top 10 issues affecting real estate. I'm Michelle Cuillard, 2020 Global Chair of the Counselors of Real Estate and CEO of Buzac Real Estate and Equities. Counselors of Real Estate are trusted advisors solving the world's most complex real estate challenges, experienced, innovative, and credentials problem solvers counselors practice in 20 countries and offer expertise in more than 50 real estate discipline across all asset types and classes. Each has earned the prestigious CRE designation. Our guest for this episode is Constantine Karolagos, CRE Clinical Assistant Professor at New York University and Principal at uh, Leonidas Partners LLC in West Eslip, New York. At NYU Shaq Institute of Real Estate, Tino teaches graduate level real estate finance, capital markets, and risk, uh, portfolio risk courses. He has led senior executive and managing director position at Wachovia Securities, Bear Stearns, GE Capital Real Estate, Moody's Investors, uh, service Equitable Real Estate Investment Management Corp. and Deloitte Touche, where he focused on capital markets valuation, structured finance consulting, and investment banking. Tino authored the narrative supporting the number three issue of this year's compilation of the top ten issue affecting real estate capital market risk. COVID nineteen was the number one issue and resonates through each of the other nine. Welcome, Tino. So pleased to speak with you today.: So, Tino, we're seven months into this pandemic, and the resultant volatility has made pricing debt more challenging than ever. What concerns you the most on the impact on debt capital markets?
1: Well thanks, Michelle. Thanks for the opportunity today. I mean, if you simplistically look at the capital markets, and regardless of whether it's debt or equity, it really boils down to understanding risk and then based on where you are in that capital stack being paid the right amount of return for the risk you're taking. So, you know, for debt, the best case scenario, and that's taking away participations in in loans that might have upside. The best case scenario is you are paid back your principal and the return that you were promised. Everything else is really downside, a hit to your principal, or maybe not getting all of the interest that you assumed you were going to get. So it really boils down to the question of how do you assess risk given uncertainty? And what's the right risk-based return that you should be paid based on that investment? Because you have other options, right? The, The great thing about the capital markets is you bring all of these different Um, sources of capital, right? The the suppliers of capital to the real estate capital markets, but they have other options. And if they can get paid a better return for the same risk, then, you know, efficient markets theory says they're going to go there. So that becomes the the challenge, but we have this uncertainty and, uh, you know, debt providers now, they don't only have to worry about new loans they, they wanna do new business, they wanna stay relevant, they wanna you know, stay employed, but the other part is they look over their shoulder and they have all of the loans that they've done before that now are facing challenges unlike what they've experienced before. So they kinda of have to be two places at the same time. And if you're the balance sheet for that debt capital, you might be more concerned about preserving what you have more so than putting out new uh, new capital right now.
0: I guess in, in my line of work, you know, um, this is, I guess, why the capital liquidity for new financing has slowed down dramatically. And uh, the refi- in our case, we, we've been quite active on refinancing existing assets and, and you know, the, the portfolio in general, avoiding maturity defaults and what have you, still have uh it's been active to some degree um uh, particularly if you're prepared to put more guarantee in collateral or put more equity into the deal especially now so obviously minimizing that risk and and uh, I, I i would assume this is what's helping right now on the debt uh, on the debt side of the capital markets at least on the refinancing but i agree with you on new new financing deals uh it's that's not the focus right now definitely not uh
1: but if this, you think about it, you're, you're, an insti- you're, you're an institutional borrower, right? You, um, your conversation with your lender is not, um, I can't pay anymore, help me. It's how can I work with you? What capital can I bring? How can we work together to, to refinance this loan? And I'm, I'm coming to the table with more skin to put in the game. In that category, that's where those are the ones the lenders want to have that conversation.
0: Yeah, the no, one
1: definitely, definitely. with nothing—that's uh, a harder one to have because you're not bringing yeah, anything. You're minimizing
0: their risk. Yeah, but the uh, with this uh, this unprecedented, I guess, health situation and in general economic downturn and behavioral change, that's, that's a lot of it is, is where it's happening right now. We're trying to deal with uh, this uncertainty and, and, and pricing risk, as you're saying. When you look back at uh, historically, uh, capital markets correction have been traditionally come uh, from some imbalance between supply and demand. I guess before we could measure uh, risk based on observation and expectation, and then price capital, how different is that methodology in today's market? You
1: know, the the question of methodology is interesting because if you say methodology, how do you underwrite a loan? I mean, it's it's that really hasn't changed that much. Yes, we have more technology. Yes, we have more data, more information. Uh, more structures that we can implement, but the the methodology is what you know what 's the appropriate level of leverage right How should I structure it, and how should how much should I get paid for it so that part hasn 't really changed it 's really the inputs right um, the the risk for that loan is the is the input that can make you scratch your head right now right the the price that you charge for that debt can make you scratch your head right now because you want to make sure that you're also being paid appropriately for that risk. So that, that part really hasn't changed. Now, you can argue the models that you use may need to change because, because this is so different than what we've experienced before on, on a global scale. Do, do the models we use to assess risk Still work, and how do we how are we testing them to make sure that they still give us the appropriate measurements given the the world that those models are being run in is are different. So I think that's a you know that's probably the the change right now that's that's challenging. When you look at two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine, I was right in the middle. Of the belly of the capital markets. I was working um, in investment banking, originating and structuring loans for new issue mortgage-backed securities. And th- that correction was really more about leverage, right? You made a loan, and I think the, the easiest example is probably the residential mortgage-backed securities market, right? right, right. You made a loan to someone who didn't necessarily have to prove their income capabilities, how much money they had these, um, you know, ninja loans, no job, no income, no assets. And you pooled those loans together, very high leverage, and you kept refinancing people who you might have been um, over levering beyond their, um, their means. So that, you know, that's a challenge in itself. But then when we pull that together, created a derivative of that, leveraged that, sold that, took what was left, pulled those together, created a derivative of a derivative. You think back to that one loan that was in that first deal. There's a lot of leverage when you look at the multiple effect of all of the other bets. And a little, you know, pinprick into the balloon, popped it, with a very loud pop that we heard all over the world. So um, I think what's very different this time is we don't have that same level of subprime CDO, CDO squared that we had last time, right? That's very different. But what we do have this time is unlike the 08, 09 crisis, I still went to industry events, I still traveled Maybe not as often. I went to the mall. Maybe I didn't um, sh- you know, shop as much. Uh, I went out to eat. I probably drank more, but I still went out. But this time, you're not traveling. You're buying things online. The hotels and malls basically shut down. And people had to figure out how to work from home. So that is so, so different than last time. And how you take that, model it, and then put it into the methodology of here's how you want to write a loan um, is probably the biggest challenge because we, don't, we just don't know. And um, I hope we have some resolution to minimize the uncertainty so we can at least try to figure out, OK, here's what I think the risk is and here's what I'm willing to lend and get paid.
0: You're absolutely right. The current level of uncertainty and risk uh, definitely makes uh, pricing debt extremely challenging and and, and obviously impacting the industry in our lives, actually. Um, Our behavior has changed completely, because I was saying before, and, and it's, it's really hard to model this. It's, it's, it's um, That's a challenge. Most, mostly, definitely a challenge. As the equity uh, capital market looks to find some balance for price discovery, and certainly around future expectation continues uh, to depress activity, with multifamily and industrial, essentially the outliers. Uh, what are the risks for other property sectors? Uh, Tino, uh, your ideas on that.
1: You know, it, it's interesting because on the one hand, um, the the benefit of markets like the publicly traded REITs is a way that you can quickly assess what the market feels, right? In the beginning, when you looked at the, the complete drop-off of all of the equity markets, all of the REIT sectors, retail office, industrial, uh, multifamily, uh lodging self-storage everything all came down pretty hard and then you quickly saw the ones where there was an opportunity uh to reassess what risk was you may not know what's the what's the difference in risk between an office reIT and a mall REIT yet but you can you can take the position that i think given malls are challenged right now and e-commerce has taken a bigger chunk of retail sales, maybe office is going to be less worse than retail. So let me adjust my pricing back up to reflect that differential. So the public markets gave us that information. Um, is, it, is it a pure, um, here's where you know, office, de- office values are down 38% because the office REIT market is down 38%? Probably not a super direct correlation, but at least it's giving us some indication between. Tendency, for sure. of yeah. um, so th- that I think that's helpful when you look at data that comes from institutional owners like um, Natixis indices, and you see the speed at which the market is able to react to private real estate ownership in, you know, insurance company, pension, insurance, pension, real estate. That's a different speed that that market reacts because people realize a, an office building doesn't drop 40% in one day and then go back up to 30% down the next day and back to 40 and then up to 30 again. That's not how values move. No. And they gives us that smoothing. Effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and there's always this interesting lag to even when you look back at the historic uh, corrections in 08, 09, you see where Nareet went. You see Nacreth was behind it. Nareet was coming back up while Nacreth was still going down. So there was a timing that was uh, observable. But this time, right, we, we don't know. What's different this time? Office, right? The I I went into Manhattan for the first time this past week to teach. I hadn't been in the city for six months. I, I'm born and raised in the city. I took the subway to high school. So I've grown up in, in New York and it was very weird walking around and just seeing how empty everything was, seeing businesses that aren't open yet. So, you know, when you think about the office market, Uh, how many people continue to work from home? Uh, How many companies adjust their footprint to spread it out so they're not concentrated in one location? Uh, And this is just talking about office. We don't know yet, but we're starting to see uh, discussion, at least, about it. So it's, it's really hard when you look at the different asset types to see how do you How do you assess the difference in equity risk in those different asset types? Not just the asset type, it's also where. Is the CBD gonna be the same as the suburbs? Secondary markets versus the the gateway cities. There's so much, I don't know, that's out there that it really, the, the, the uncertainty side of the scale is clearly weighing the scale down right now. And I think slowly as time goes by, we'll get more balance that that hopefully comes out of it. Retail, we already saw that declining. It's not like um, March, we woke up and said, oh my God, we have a lot of retail and retail malls are challenged. I mean, that's been happening for five years already. And this just kind of exacerbated it because now yeah. you have
0: it a was grandma
1: online right? How, how much more are you buying online that you never bought online before? Right? A lot more. And then the question is, when we go back, whatever back looks like, how much of what you bought online goes back to what you did before? And how much of it do you say, yeah, hey, it wasn't so bad. I think I'll keep doing this this way. Right? We don't know. And all of those I don't know is whether it's office, retail, retail, um, Even multifamilies had its challenges with people being able to to afford to pay their rent. Um, Industrial was always a a favorite child and now even more so given e-commerce. Self-storage is an interesting sector. Um, Hospitality, extremely challenged. And then data centers, all of a sudden, the need for power and computing is even further escalated. So an asset type that maybe historically had not been so institutional, might even become a real product that institutional owners say, I need to have this to um, blend into my portfolio.
0: Because it's already it seems like, It's already starting, yeah. yeah.
1: So I, I think the risks are, are there and like with the broader markets, as time goes on, hopefully the, the volatility, the certainty will, will overstep the uncertainty and make it a little bit easier to try to assess what, what risk and, and pricing might look like even for equity capital.
0: Are you, uh, Tino, when do you think we should start seeing more distress and block sales? Uh, it's been, I mean, obviously we're in month seven in, in this pandemic situation, um, but we're definitely gonna start seeing some of those uh, distress sales. Um, what's your view on that?
1: When we, when we led up to the prior, um, correction, some people felt like it's getting a little frothy here. We probably need to pay attention, but you didn't be, you don't want to be the first one to pull out of the market and the music kept playing, right? You don't want to leave the concert early when they haven't played their best songs yet. So you you wait with everybody else. And then you probably, unfortunately, we tend to just go down with the ship with everyone else. Um, Here, I don't think you want to be the first one to start dumping product into the market, because you definitely don't want to be wrong. And in the face of uncertainty, and and in the face of an acknowledgement that it's really hard to measure this, if you can uh, push the the loan out, if you can... um, get some uh, deferral of your payments, uh, you know, forbearance on your, on your loans. Uh, you know, what we talk about CMBS that's only about just about 10% of the overall market. Now right? 51% as of year end of commercial real estate, multifamily debt were the banks and the banks were told um, you don't have to take these loans as troubled debt restructures yet. So let's keep an eye on them, but you can push out a little bit. And the the Fed gave them some time, but now we're starting to get, I think it was six months and now we're getting to the end of the six months. So the question is going to be, we push it out more and hopefully we have better clarity, but you're not going to see a lot of assets trade. My humble opinion, best case scenario, the end of this year, if people want to get things off of their books four year end for financial reporting purposes but probably not into the early part of next year which is going to be almost a year that we've been facing this and there's been there's been stuff that's been put out in the market like for price discovery yeah. Uh, yeah. banks putting loans out there but i think part of that is really to figure out what would people be willing to pay more than more so than i'll take what i can whatever i can yeah. get for this this asset right that, that's probably the, I mean, that's kind of where I see things going. I'm talking to a lot of, uh, to borrowers and lenders and funds, and no one really wants to jump too quickly. But you do have a lot of capital that's being raised sitting on the side to hopefully take advantage when the, um, the pipeline is turned on or when the dam bursts, hopefully more of a controlled flow and not a flood.
0: No, there's a lot of dry powder out there. Absolutely. And uh, just waiting for sure. And it's actually growing. Um, just uh, quickly, uh, Tino to finish, I think we we're exceeding our 20 minutes, but the federal intervention helped uh, a lot to limit the, uh, the complete sizing of the, of the markets in the spring while all this mess started, but didn't necessarily mitigate the longer term concern about defaults and losses. Uh, well, pricing stability and liquidity st- is slowly returning. Like I said, in twenty twenty one, we'll start seeing it. Uh, late payments and loan and loan defaults have increased and-, and still increasing. Obviously, how do you foresee the next twelve to fifteen months, uh, taking us to the end of twenty twenty
1: one? You know, the the the, F- the Fed that you know turning on the. Um, the pipeline with um, you know the, the TALF two I guess it's two uh, and and starting to buy and create liquidity for investment grade securities like uh, AAA CMBS deals that was um, that that was a positive that brought spreads down significantly yeah. from from their worst yeah. but still begs the question if you have defaults increasing and uh you know thirty sixty ninety day defaults increasing, and then you have spreads a risk premium declining because of additional liquidity for the bonds. Those two I think feel like they should be moving in the same direction, right more defaults, more uncertainty, higher risk premium, and they seem to be moving in a little bit of an opposite direction, you know especially with with uh, interest rates where they are yeah. so I, I think it, it has helped in the short term to create some liquidity, but I, I wouldn't read it as, a, as an indication of the market saying we're comfortable with lower risk premiums.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Dino. Um, we passed our 20 minutes. We're grateful uh, for your knowledge on capital markets, a vital sector that has a profound impact on our industry and our lives. Thank you again. Join us next time for another discussion on one of the top 10 issues affecting real estate. I'm Michelle Criard. On behalf of the Councilors of Real Estate, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Top 10 in 20.